Oh, hello? Okay. Uh, yeah, we're recording. Hi, welcome back to Chili's. <laughs> Hi, uh, this is your boy, Trey, yet again. And, uh, we're riding solo yet again. Um, clearly, I haven't recorded in a long time. That is because I chose to not record in a long time. Um, I'm partially dead right now. I'm not gonna lie. It's it's real late. Yeah, it's real late. Um, it's pretty late. Um, but when I record alone, I record at night, and when I record at night, I record very late at night. So that's uh how we're doing it. My voice is a little cracked. I don't know. It's on and off right now. But we're gonna roll with the punches here tonight. Um. I don't know. I usually would love to just chat, um, but I'm I'm typically a loose cannon, and uh, I know I would say a lot of things I shouldn't say publicly. But so we're not going to allow that to happen. Um, so today or tonight, should I say? Uh, I have another topic to be focusing on. Um, oh. I don't like doing this. I'm not going to lie. Okay, whatever. Let's just throw myself into the frying pan at this point. Um, the topic at hand is uh, a highly debated topic that has no base. I need to shut my mouth. Um, it, 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 long story short, it's the once saved, always save, or eternal security, or can you lose your salvation, yada, yada, yada. Fill the, I don't care what you use, to be honest. That's the topic at hand. We're going to look at it. We're going to look at certain things, uh, certain verses or whatever. See what's happening. Let's see if we can figure this thing out. I have spent a long time studying this. Um, Ultimately, I spent a very long time on a very specific topic, um, which that will be in the the later half of this episode. I'm going to save that till later because we have to build upon certain ideas for you to understand this. Uh, first off, uh, long story short, I mean, the whole lose salvation, this only applies if you have salvation. So if if you know you're not saved, I guess I can't say if you think you're saved, but you're not because you think you're saved. But if you don't have salvation, this doesn't apply to you whatsoever, but you are more than welcome to listen. Um who knows? Maybe there's information in here for you. Um, I'm going to be completely and utterly blunt with you. I hate this topic. I despise this topic. I've hated it from the moment. I've avoided it with every possible power I have. I have avoided this. But I'm not the one making the rules. And ultimately, it wasn't my choice to do this. Um... As you've seen in the past, like with the, uh, when I did the the episode with the the parable, the the vine and the branches, what was that, John, I think it was John 15, I don't know, I don't have that memorized, I'm not, I'm not a scholar. Uh, the reason I brought that episode up, or the reason I talked about that episode is because I couldn't get it out of my head, but by the, after I had recorded the episode, I, I was able to let go of it completely, I'm assuming that's the same scenario here, um, you will I've noticed this, and after I decided to do, after I agreed to do this topic, 
on the podcast. I realized all my, all the episodes I've done alone, minus the one with Morgan or the guest, but Morgan, but the ones I've done completely alone, they all focus upon a general topic. They're not all the same thing. Like obviously losing salvation is not the same thing as the other stuff I talked about. But they all are related to a single topic, and I didn't notice it until I then got into this topic, and I realized what's what path I'm going down right now, and it is going to be horrendous. Ah, I am just so excited for that. Nobody knows what I'm referencing, and that's the point. You're not going to know. <laughs> Dude, it's late. I shouldn't be talking this loud, but my roommates are sleeping, and apparently somebody's over here or something. Okay, um, why did I get on this topic if I hate it so much? Um, so, a few weeks ago, or well, probably over a month ago, but after I did the last episode I did, uh, about a week and a half time period went by after I did the episode where I was constantly getting thrown, like, the the topic of lose salvation was getting thrown in my face. I mean it daily for a week and a half. This thing was being thrown in my face. You know, I constantly people were saying, "You can lose your salvation." Here's this verse, that that that, uh, all these things. I'll prove you can. And then you have the other side saying, "You, you no, you can't lose your salvation." Here's this this this, constant bickering, yada yada yada. I didn't care pissed me off. I, I I was like, I'm not doing this. I'm not getting into this topic. I don't care. I'm not going to study it. A week and a half goes by. <laughs> a week and a half goes by. And at the end of like, the, uh, when I get to that, that, that peak point where it's a week and a half in, somebody says something. I watch this, I, you know, I watch TikToks occasionally for, for like enjoyment or when I'm bored or whatever. But one girl, I saw one video, and it was a girl. Ironically, the girl was Catholic, so it makes sense she believed in losing salvation. So it wasn't surprising that I knew. I was like, okay, that makes sense. She's going to defend it. She's Catholic. But what she said absolutely pissed me off. I mean it. I mean it. She not only took. I'm not. I'm not. I'm, we're going to get into this later in the episode. But she not only took a verse out of context. She used it in her own context. And in halfway through, when somebody called her out on it, she flipped it back to the original context. Meaning, she double contradicted herself. I was like, how do you people follow this? How do I, I don't, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. There were things that I said that I will never say on this podcast. I said things. <laughs> There's a reason why I'm a sinner. <laughs> Shoot. Um, but yeah, no, it pissed me off. I said, I said, whatever, we're going to get into it. And right as I started studying it, literally nothing showed up anymore. It stopped getting thrown in my face. It didn't. And I know he did it on purpose. I know he did it on purpose. Son of a gun's trying to mess with my head. <sighs> I hate this topic. Okay. I have to be blunt with you guys. I'm not. I'm not gonna be one of these fake people. Like, oh, I love this topic. Let's talk about it. No, this is one of the most worth, worthless topics I've ever seen in my life, and it is a waste of your time. But for those of you who don't understand this topic or you have uh, confusions on certain things, this is gonna be worthwhile for me. It really doesn't do much. But there was one thing I got out of this that I am very pleased to actually have. 
but that is will be referenced later. Okay, so I don't know where you stand. I don't know who's listening to this. Uh, I'm assuming there's a variety. There are three. There are three different types of people. Okay, first you have one person who says, you know, whatever they say, they say no, you can't lose your salvation, right? Okay, then you have the complete other side that says, absolutely, you can lose your salvation. Both sides will throw X, Y, and Z verses at you, whatever, whatever. And then you have the middle. And these people are, there's two types of people like this. First, you would have somebody who isn't saved. Because if they're in the middle, they don't give a crap about the topic in the first place. They don't believe in salvation. So they don't really care whether or not you can keep it or lose it. Okay, and then there's other people who are saved and or, or believe in the gospel, all these things. But they don't really know where to stand, right? You're like, well, this or that seems to reference salvation, but I don't want to say it confidently, yada, yada, yada. So wherever you stand on this, any any spot of this, whether you believe eternal security, whether you believe in lose salvation or you're on the fence, I'm going to assume there are things in this that you don't understand. So I'm assuming there's information in here that is new to you that you can learn, whether it's learning a certain verse in context or just building your faith, whatever, iron sharpens iron in the end, right? You know, and ultimately coming to this decision to talk about this, I realize this has nothing to do with me and everything to do with everybody else who struggles or can't confidently defend their faith on this topic. Also, let me say this. I think this topic, and I, and this is kind of actually proven in scripture, this is a milk, not a meat. This is the most basic fundamental topic. This is not mature, okay? I, I, I literally am not maturing really in this topic, um, but you need to get these foundational things out of the way so you can mature and get to the meat. Um, I... I should have wrote that down where that was. I think that's First Peter somewhere, somewhere in that book. I don't know. I don't know. I don't remember. Also, it's, is it not in Romans? I am. Yeah, don't come to me for scripture. <laughs> I could paraphrase anything, but I can't tell you where that stuff is. Um, okay. Um, so before I jump into this, I had to structure this in a specific way. Uh, I'm going to talk about, uh, first, I'm going to talk about three base topics that we have to agree on. Then we have to talk about possible ways of outcomes or, or ways that you could lose salvation, and then we'll jump into um, the few verses I have that I think are valuable, and I, I, I decided to pick. Uh, let me let me also say this, that I understand there are a buttload of different verses that people use for both sides of the fence. Uh, I did not write all of them down. I do not care. Um, there is a single passage in scripture that is the end all be all of this entire topic, but you will not be able to understand it if I do not build upon these foundations for you to understand it. I am making the assumption that the person listening to this is, I, I, I guess, has basic information of scripture. You may not be able to fully, uh, you know, go in a debate and, and, you know, quote after quote of scripture, defend it, but you generally understand these things, you, even if you haven't fleshed them out, right? Like you understand, maybe you understand the Trinity. I mean, technically nobody fully understands the Trinity, let's be honest. But you, you get you can get the basic understanding, right, in your life. It's, you know, but, you know, to truly understand God, you probably never, it's not going to happen in this life. <sighs> so when you need to go through three basic ideas real quick, uh, I'm not going to flesh these out at all. These are something, if you disagree with one or any of these, 
you need to stop listening to this and go go read your go read your Bible and challenge what I'm saying here because all three are all three of these are factually proven by Scripture. So we need to build upon these. First off, we need to agree. You can agree with me, you can disagree with me, but you're going to have a very unpleasant time if you disagree with me and you don't know this. First off, God is not a liar. Say, so God doesn't sin, right? Because if God sinned, he would stop being holy. And if he stopped being holy, he would stop being God. In which case, he can't be holy and sinful at the same time. And since he is holy, and we are also called to be as holy as God is holy, and we are not as holy as God is holy, that means that God is sinless. Right? This is also a part of his nature. Yada, yada, yada. So what does this mean? If God can't sin, well, let's just say, for example, like lying. Lying is a, a sin. Okay, I think we all agree on that. This also means that God can't contradict himself because if God contradicts himself, he lies, meaning it cannot happen. You need to get this through your head. So just hypothetically, let's say, and I guess this is hypothetical because this is said, but God says, okay, don't get drunk because that's a sin. Well, later on in Scripture or wherever else, you're not going to find somewhere it says, God says, you know what, go get drunk. It's it's it, it's a-okay. It's not a sin. He doesn't say that because that would contradict what he previously said. These Both these topics could not exist at the same time or both be true. One of them would be false, which would mean God was lying in one of these scenarios. That's why God can't contradict himself. You could get into more on this, but this is basically... Okay, so we agree on that, right? God's perfect. God's sinless. God's God. I mean, easy. Second topic, salvation. When you are saved, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, what is this? Romans 8? Do I have that? I think I have that. I don't know if I have that, actually. Uh, Romans, okay. Is that the right reference? Dude, I have so many scriptures on my screen. You do not. I didn't have enough room on my uh, dry erase board, and I couldn't write these things out because I was no way I was going to be able to memorize this amount of scripture in time. So, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, so if you, let me finish what I was saying. <laughs> Uh, so, look, if, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you're saved. If you do not have the Holy Spirit, you do not have salvation, period, okay? Romans 8, 9 through 10 clearly states this. Uh, I'll read it for you. Uh, verse Chapter 8, verse 9 says, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, right? Because we live by the Spirit, not by the flesh, because the flesh is sin. Uh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. So you are li- you are in the realm of the spirit if the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. I don't really need. I guess I don't really need verse ten here. I just verse nine does plenty of work here. Um, you can go look at that and do all that, but it clearly states if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. I don't know what you want to call it. They do not belong to Christ. You're not a child of Christ if you do not have the Holy Spirit in you. You receive the Holy Spirit upon salvation. At the moment of salvation, you receive the Holy Spirit. never leaves you. If it ever leaves you, you are not saved. Done. Said and done. Okay, we back this up by Scripture. Yada, yada, yada. You can go study that on your own. Just read Romans 8. I mean, you're going to be like, oh, I'm going to look at verse 9. You're not going to understand the context. Uh, Third one. This is probably going to be the most difficult for anybody to wrap their head around. I have taught the people in uh, in person about this and i've been able to explain this pretty well uh i'm not good at explaining stuff i'm not gonna lie so um so also after salvation 
okay, I want you to understand right now, I'm not teaching a works-based salvation. So get that clear. But you, as a believer, you produce good fruits. These good fruits come after salvation. If you do not produce good fruits after salvation, there was no salvation to begin with. Do not, uh, Second off, I've seen this argument on like YouTube and such. It's, it's horrendous that you would even make a statement like this. Oh, well, the thief on the cross got saved. He didn't produce fruits. The man died like two hours after he got saved. I don't know the time limit. You think he just got down from the cross and said, all right, let's go live another 20 years with all these holes in my body. No, he died. He didn't have time to do anything. Again, he didn't have time to see what fruits he was going to do. He died. So so that's that's I hate that argument. That's pathetic. That's pathetic. I'm not even saying where I saw that. You can, you can look that up. <laughs> so you produce fruits after salvation. If you're not producing good fruits, what salvation is there in the beginning? Because the Holy Spirit does not enter you and say, I, I'm going to let you do what you do. The Holy Spirit says, nah, I'm in charge now. The, the game has changed. You're no longer living for the flesh. You're living for the spirit. Boom. Okay. So those are the three basic things I had to get through. If you disagree with any three of these the rest of this, don't even listen to this podcast. Don't listen to this episode. Go study your Bible. I don't. That's not on me. Honestly, that's not on me. Okay? <laughs> I'm being incredibly disrespectful to people. Um, but yeah, so those are the, the... I had to make sure I got through these. Just because I most likely will reference these later on. I It's almost been 20 minutes. Oh my. I thought this episode was going to be short. I took out so many different references and verses because I thought it would be incredibly long. It looks like this is going to be a lot longer because the last the, the the ultimately the only the only passage I would ever use in my life now that I understand it is going to take me at least 20 minutes to explain. And it's incredibly complex if you don't understand it. But once you understand it, it's super easy. Uh, anyway, I don't know why I keep talking. I need to shut my mouth, but I'm alone. So what am I supposed to do? All right. So we got through the two the the the, the three basics so that we agree. I right. Now we need to go through. Uh, I broke these down. I broke these down into two topics. One of them I'm going to I'm going to go into more. The other one I'm not really going to go into too much. Uh, that would the one of them is just a salvational issue. If you don't agree, I I, I I firmly say you don't have salvation. Firmly we say that. Two topics. So I asked, or I, I I personally I tried to figure out what are the possible ways that someone could. If possible, lose salvation. I found two. There, if you have one, you're welcome to tell me about it. I'm assuming it it ultimately fits in the, one of these categories. Um, whatever. So the first one would be okay, a sin. Could I produce a sin? Whatever sin or X Y Z, you know, a certain amount of sins. Could I produce? Whether it's a single bad sin or a multitude of little sins or a multitude of really bad sins. Could I produce any amount of sin or any sin at all that would then take away my salvation? Okay? Uh, I really I only need two references for this one. But uh, I should have been looking at this beforehand. Oh, yeah. There it is. Um, so first off, we have to understand um, if you if you think – that Christ didn't die for all your sins. This means all the sins you did in your past, before you knew God, before salvation, before Jesus Christ, 
before you got saved. He died for all those sins there. He died for the sins that are in your present. Even as you're listening to this right now, you probably have unrepented sins. Uh, you better go talk to God about that one. Uh, and even the ones you'll do in the future, you know, whether you live for a day or live for another hundred years, you're probably not going to make it that long, but good luck. Um, so Christ died for all your sins. If you disagree with this, there are certain religions, I understand this, and there are certain individuals that will go around and say that God only died for a certain amount of sins or that God, for example, um, like if I'm not trying to take shots fired, I'm not trying to attack anybody on this one, but, but like the Catholicism teaches that, uh, up until salvation, up until the moment you are saved, all those sins are forgiven, but the sins you produce later on in the future, Christ didn't die for those sins. And I say, first off, that's absolute heresy. So congratulations on that one. And I say, I can say, if that's true, then we all are going to hell in the end anyway. So I guess we're all going to get to experience that torment. Um, I, I, should, I should not joke about hell, but I can't not do it. I'm going to get shot. Um, so one one thing I used, or uh, there are two different verses I would jump to for this. You could, I'm sure you could think of a few different ones. I don't care. <laughs> Um, because I'm not going to sit here and quote every single scripture in the world for this. But uh, if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, it says, uh, this is 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That's the gospel, and that's ultimately salvation, or the, how to get saved. Um, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So, uh, I mean, in that alone, uh, I don't really need anything else to say. Um, but Christ died for our sins. Does it say he died for only the sins I, I had in my past? Does it clearly state that God did, died on the cross for your sins, but not the sins you do after salvation? That's on you. No, it doesn't. It says for our sins. That means he dies for the, the all of that individual's sins, right? All of them. Um, another one you might want to look at. I do. I hate this because I need to. Okay. Um. It, it's uh. This is First John chapter one. Um. Yeah. This uh. It's it's verse seven. Um. Starting at verse five, it starts. It talks about like walking in light and darkness, sin, comparing sin and forgiveness type topics. Uh, you can read it to understand the context better. Uh, but First uh, John chapter 1, verse 7 says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. So, I mean, some of yours might not say all. Some of yours might say every, every sin. Either It's vice versa at that point. Um, so, yeah. Clearly, so if if you disagree with that, that's 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 a salvational issue. I, I I can't. There's no way I could see a way around it, um, because you're ultimately denying Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross. Okay, I'm, I'm just saying. So I think that would be a salvational issue if you disagree with that. So if you disagree with that, you probably should talk to some people because that's a issue, and I don't know you personally. Um, most likely, unless you do know me, in which case you're welcome to come talk to me. Um, <laughs> um, so, so yes, the, the, the idea of, oh, I could lose my salvation by producing any, literally any sin 
after I have been filled with the Holy Spirit, been a born-again believer, and have been made a child of God and am saved is absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. It cannot be defended. There's no uh, no part for it. Any, any, any group, religious groups, individual, I don't care who you are, who teaches that, teaches heresy. Period. They teach us something that is not taught. That is quite opposite of what is taught in Scripture. What Scripture says, they, they literally flip the script and go completely the opposite way. That's what's being done. Don't follow those people. Don't listen to those people. Frankly, you shouldn't be around those people unless you already can firmly, you know, you have a firm faith and, and you, you don't get tripped up by this kind of stuff. So that's the whole works, or not the work. well, that is works, but the whole sins, right? Technically, technically sins are works. It's just their works that. Yeah, I'm not getting into that. We're not doing the fruit stuff. But yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. So that's the first one is I could do a sin. That one doesn't logically work. There's no way for it. It absolutely makes uh, everything in Scripture wrong if you do that one. And you ultimately challenge what Christ did on the cross for doing that. Now we'll get into the second one. So um, the second one... Uh, it, I didn't know this at first. Like I, I started looking into this. Uh, a few people told me about it. Uh, I also knew it was, ironically, still in the, the Catholic Church and belief. Um, I, let, before before we actually jump into that, let me. Uh, one of the the things I I'll use. I don't need it in the end, but I, it's a good reference. It's it's nice to have. Uh, and and most people don't have an issue with this. I say most because I found two groups that have issues with this, which one of them twist it lightly. The the other one just, I mean, whew, Mormons, you guys go all over the place. Um, it, It's found in John 10, and it's basically like the shepherd that's in sheep. Uh, it says, uh, I don't even know what, what verse is this. Now I got to look at my board on what verse this is. Uh, this is like John 10, like 27 through... 29 i would say you might as well read the whole thing so you get the, the context you really should um uh it says uh the works i do in my father's name testify on my behalf this is jesus christ and he's referencing the father god the father but because you are not my sheep you refuse to believe my sheep listen to my voice i know them and they follow me who are the sheep the sheep are the children of god someone who is saved Technically, if you're saved, this is a reference to you as well. But, but anyways, um, uh, uh, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand, out of Jesus's hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand and then I am the Father. I am and the Father are one. I My dyslexia kicks in all over the place on that one. So, we see, it's clearly, it, it states that if you're a follower of Christ, if you're saved, you're not only challenging Jesus, you're challenging God the Father at the same time. Now, theoretically, you would also be challenging the Holy Spirit, but we're not going to get into that. It's saying nothing, literally, uh, it says, uh, they will never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Now, this is where I'm going to get into the second topic because we talked about whether or not you could, you know, how you would lose salvation. The first thing I wanted to see, what I wanted to see, is there, does, do, it says, does everybody agree 
that the sheep are someone who is saved? Do we all agree? And, and this is uh, this is not really a question for you to answer. I don't, I, I don't know. Maybe you disagree. Either way, I'll disprove you wrong. Anyways, and I was curious. I was like, okay, what do other people see? I found two groups. Now, I'm, I, I didn't look into... Never mind. I'm not even going to reference that. I found two groups. First off, I referenced Mormons. The interpretation Mormons have for this this passage... I, I'm not even going to try to explain it to you because, first off, it's incredibly incorrect. But when I first heard it, it's real fun. I mean, it's super funny. It's it's awesome. You should look into it, what Mormons think about this passage. Uh, I don't know if all Mormons agree with it or if it was just the ones I saw. I, I don't know. I don't know if that's a, a teaching within their stuff because I haven't really looked into the doctrines of Mormonism a whole lot. I know a few things, but not all of it. But no, but, but the, what they were saying was awesome. It was super, it was absolutely false, but it was super funny. So so I know Mormon. I was like, okay, Mormons, but we're on a different page. I'm on a completely different page. I'm not going to be God one day. The other thing I found was Catholics. I know, right? I'm referencing Catholics yet again. It's because Catholics teach a losing salvation. This is a very big, important doctrine that they teach that is false. Um. I don't know. I didn't state this off the bat real quick. Um, I guess where I stand is uh, you cannot lose your salvation. And if you teach you lose your salvation, you teach directly against God and you make God a liar. I will back these up later on. I'm just saying that right now. That's where I stand. I stand wherever God tells me to stand. And there is no evidence, period, period. There is nothing that can support the losing of salvation. That's why I stand that you are saved and you cannot lose it. Okay, um, so when I was looking in back on the topic, when I was looking into this, I was questioning, okay, other than Mormons, Catholics seems to, they agree with most of this. And it, here's, here's the deal, right? They agree, right? They agree that sheep are followers of Jesus Christ, are, are children of God, right? They agree. But they, they put an emphasis on following. They're saying, okay, yeah, if you follow Jesus Christ throughout your life, Nothing can snatch you. It, it, uh, here it says, uh, uh, you'll never perish and no one can snatch you. So no one, uh, the guy I watched put an emphasis on nobody or uh, no one saying other people, like all the people around me can't harm me or can't cause me to lose my salvation, period, all that. But me, I am not the no one. I am me. I, uh, these are separate. And this is what he was clarifying, saying that. But me as a person, I can choose to walk away, right? I can choose to stop following. If I stop following, I'm not that sheep, which means anything can snatch me, right? I, I will perish. I won't have eternal life. They put an emphasis, which brings me into this topic of, oh, can you then choose to walk away from the faith, which is, um, I think, a good question, I think, to, to ask. So, So we see this question of, can somebody be filled with the Holy Spirit, be saved, doing all these things, right? And can they just, whether it's at any point, just no matter how long or how faithful they were, and how much wisdom or knowledge they had of Scripture, no matter what their walk with Christ looked like, can they just one day be like, you know what, I'm done. I'm going to denounce Christ. This ain't for me. I'm done, right? Ultimately implying then the Holy Spirit would leave them. They lose his salvation. 
uh, all that stuff. They are no longer followers, which means they will perish if they don't return. And I, I, I thought that was a good question. Now, ultimately, it has no basis to stand on, but it's still a good question to ask because I know there are going to be people who think uh, about that logical idea. First off, we need to go over this. Um, this is not possible. Uh, we're going to state this real quick. I'm going to... I didn't know how to structure this, so I was going to save this till after I go through the other stuff, but I might as well throw this up here first. Uh, is What is it? Didn't I already mention Romans 8? I did, didn't I? Anyways, later on in Romans... <laughs> <laughs> later on in Romans 8 um, so uh, in Romans 8 uh, this is verses 38 oh, 38 and 39 it's the, the last two verses of chapter uh, chapter 8 Romans 8 the last two verses I said chapters I'm, I'm so dyslexic okay uh, verse uh, chapter 8 verse 38 says for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, and you're probably thinking, oh, yeah, there's that's, what does that have to do with things like depths and height, death, uh, you know, angels or demons? Of course, they can't snatch me out of the Father's hand. That makes no logical sense. That's not what I'm putting the emphasis on. I'm putting the emphasis on a single topic that appears in uh, the last verse, 39, where it says, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all creation. Are you not a creation? Are you not one of God's creation? Are you not a individual creation? That's a reference to you, by the way. Just, just, just so you know, you you literally can't do that, right? Even you can't stop the power of God because you are not stronger than God or Jesus or even the Holy Spirit. It, so you 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 can't do this. But uh, that's that's one verse I will bring up. Was it Matthew? Yes, it's the book of Matthew. Um, Matthew, uh, I, I've referenced and I've kind of talked about the, uh, unforgivable sin. It will be referenced later on as well. Um, I, am not going to go into detail on this ref, uh, the unforgivable sin, long story short is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And Matthew 12 talks about this. What, where else? Shoot. I didn't write it down, dude. Ugh, I made mistakes. Uh, yeah, I, I think, I think the unforgivable sin appears in the book of Luke. I think. I know it's not in the book of John. It doesn't appear. I think it's in Luke. It, I don't think it's in Mark, but I think it's in Luke. I just don't know what chapter it is. Anyways, you could Google it and it will tell you what verses or what chapters you find it in. Anyways, we see the unforgivable sin, okay? The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we To give you a little context, we see these group of Pharisees basically watch as Jesus... Uh, uh, what is it? Uh, heals this um, demon-possessed man. He and Jesus goes and casts out these demons out of this man. Uh, the demons go off, whatever, whatever. The guy is with a bunch of joy, and the Pharisees basically say, "Hey, you're Satan, because only Satan has the power to cast out his own kind." In which case, Jesus says, "That's the most illogical debate you could ever bring to me right now." <laughs> just, <laughs> just, <laughs> that's not what he said. Uh, but the he basically says it uh, like this. He basically he realized you're calling me uh, Satan when I'm Jesus. I'm the Messiah. Um, uh, so here in Matthew 12, verse 25 and 26, 
uh, it says, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself, how then can his kingdom stand? It, it goes on a little more about this. I'm not really going to go into that, but it, it does give more detail, talk about him, talk about how if he's if he's Satan, why would he be cast out his own kind that are doing the works of him? Okay. That, that doesn't make sense. They're on the same team. Okay? It basically means that Satan's kingdom could not stand if Satan was against his own. His kingdom would fall. Right? It even talks about a household or a city. It would fall. So then, vice versa, what's the same thing here? Jesus, or, or God, cannot go against God. God is not divided against God because if that was so, his kingdom would not exist. Now, just to give you a hypothetical thing here, I'm almost positive. This is this is more hypothetical here, but it, hypothetically, if, G, if if God's kingdom was to stand against itself and no longer stand, I'm pretty sure we would all just disintegrate or cease to exist. Maybe that's a hypothetical statement. I can't back that up with scripture. <laughs> Because nowhere in scripture do you actually see anywhere where Jesus actually does stand against himself or God stands against himself ultimately. Okay, so we already went over the point where you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit to be saved. If you do not have the Holy Spirit, you do not have salvation, this does not apply to you. So we're talking to a believer here. Okay, in order for you to walk away from the faith as a true born-again believer adopted into the family of Christ. Okay? You are now a born-again believer. Your father is no longer Satan. Your father is now Christ, right? Is God, right? Okay? Then, upon that salvation, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. In order for you to denounce God, to genuinely denounce God, and walk away. That would also mean that the Holy Spirit that is residing in you has to denounce who? Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit has to sit here and say, Jesus Christ, you're not who you said you are. Well, if Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit are both God, the Trinity, right, are both God, if this was to happen, the kingdom would fall. Uh, have you looked around? I don't think the kingdom's fall. Fell. I, dyslexia. That doesn't make sense. That logically doesn't work. It can't be done. Because first off, if it ever could have been done, it would have already happened, and you and I wouldn't be here today to know about it. And because God is outside time, he would already know if or when it would happen. Even if it happened in the future, things now would not exist. Okay? It would have already crumbled. You get this? Because God's outside time. Maybe I'm not, but he is. So everything happens at the same time. You are saying that the Holy Spirit is going to denounce Jesus Christ? Oh, please. Oh, oh how much more can you throw at me? <laughs> this, is, this is absurd. It's crazy to think about this. It, it truly is. Because yeah, I just I, I can't fathom this at all. Okay. So there's actually an example of this that appears in Scripture of the hypothetical statement. It shows what happens when you try to do this. Because first off, we see after Matthew 12 that this can't happen because then the kingdom would fall. 
Okay? So then we see an example of the possibility. And we see what happens when you push it to the boundaries or when... That's probably not the right phrasing. But we see what happens. Okay? This is found in Matthew 26. I know they're both found in the book of Matthew. How ironic. They're also found in other books, but that's besides the point. Anyways... Matthew chapter 26, there's all sorts of things like Jesus getting arrested, the Last Supper. I'm not talking about that stuff. Okay, at the very end, Matthew chapter 26, verses 69 <laughs> through 75, the last few ver- the last few verses of the chapter, gives us a, a kind of this, this play, kind of this hypothetical, let's see what happens. Okay, now, beforehand, the few verses beforehand, um, you know, Jesus is, he's talking to the, what's his name? The, the Sahadrin? I, I, oh, dude, I can't say that. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but basically he's in here, he's having a chat like he always is with most people throughout scripture. Um, <laughs> but towards the latter, towards this, you, you, you see these people are mocking Jesus Christ, right? You're not the Messiah, uh, you know, I think they're spitting on him. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, verse 67, they spit in his face, struck him with their fist. They're punching the guy. They're slapping him. They're even said, uh, prophesied to us, Messiah, who hit you? So they're clearly playing with him and mocking him. They're making a joke of him because they don't believe he's Messiah. He, they believe he's just some guy calling himself God. Um, and right here, right? Uh, we see in starting in verse uh, 69 going through 75, we see what is called uh, where it, basically it's where Peter denounces or disowns or disowns, uh, disnounce. I can't say that word anymore, man. Peter denies Jesus. Not only does it do it once or twice, he does it three times. Jesus had already been prophesying about this earlier on in the book of Matthew. He prophesied about this throughout all the Gospels. Um so we see what happens. So let's uh, let's read it real quick, and I'll give you some context, right? So verse 69 says, Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway, where another servant saw him, and said to the people there, This fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again, with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Your, your accent gives you away. Then he began to, to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside, and he wept bitterly. All right, we saw the examples. Uh, Peter denied Christ three times. Three different times, people are like, hey, you're, you're that guy, right? Uh, you, you know, you, you, you follow Jesus of, of Nazareth, you know, Jesus of Galilee. You're with him. You were with him, weren't you? You're one of his disciples, right? He's like, no, 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 no. Does it three times. The question here is, first thing you need to understand is, let's look at it. Is this genuine? First off, was this a lie or was this truth? Did Jesus deny uh, Christ three times? Yes, he did. So when so then we say, when he says in like, let's say, verse thir- or 72, he denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. Did Peter not know who Jesus was? No, he did. Because he was walking around with Jesus for three, at least three years. 
right? Under basically one of the one of the disciples under Jesus being trained, being learning before Jesus would eventually leave. Training, being taught by Jesus. He clearly knew Jesus. He knew who Jesus was. Even earlier on, you see, uh, early on in Matthew, you see where uh, Jesus basically says to Peter, he says, who am I? Peter boldly, out loud states around other people, around the other disciples, says, you're the Messiah. That, first off, you want to make the claim. I, I, I brought that up for another reason. Uh, you want to make the claim. Some people will do this uh, to try and say this, you know, they don't know how to talk about this correctly. You want to make the claim that Peter is not saved by this point, that's incorrect. That's incorrect. Because earlier on when earlier on when when earlier on in chapters beforehand, when Peter when Jesus says to Peter, Who am I? and he says, You are the Messiah. That if you don't need any other scripture, I can confidently say at that point he was saved, if not beforehand. Why? Because if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved and you will have eternal life. If you say that he didn't have salvation at that point, then none of us have salvation and Jesus was a liar in the end, wasn't he? Right? And then we come back to this topic, you're all going to burn in hell in the end. Right? That doesn't work. Peter is clearly saved by the point of this uh, denouncing of Christ three times. Okay? Now, what did we have to do? So we know he was lying each time. Why was he lying? That makes that doesn't make sense. A lot of people, uh, you think, oh, he lied simply because he prophesied. Okay? But he did this for a reason. And if you look at the context, and even if you read through the entire chapter, you don't have to, honestly, you could read like four or five chapters, not chapters, verses. If you read through this entire chapter, you can read just a few verses before this. And you can clearly pick up on what's happening. Who are the people who are asking him? Who's this servant girl? Right? And then he denies it. Who are these other people saying, wait, 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 aren't you that guy who follows Jesus? Who are these people? If you know the answer to this, you would know that these are the people who are saying, let's crucify Jesus Christ. Let's kill him. He calls himself God, but he's not. Later on, when Jesus is crucified, Many people, including the two men on the cross, one of them ends up being saved. They both, not only the two men on the cross who are being crucified with Jesus, you know, on his right and his left, but people come by, even even uh, like Pharisees and men of the law, they come by and say, save yourself. You could save everybody else, but you couldn't save yourself. You couldn't save yourself. You claim to be the Messiah. They're, they're, they're mocking him. This is the continuation, Okay. Now, that obviously happens later on, a few chapters later on, when Jesus is crucified. But these people who are talking to Peter are the exact same people who are being referenced in the verses beforehand, right? The people who are saying, kill Jesus. He's a false teacher. Uh, he, he's a wolf in sheep clothing. I don't know what you would want to say. Whatever. He's lying, right? He's not the Messiah. That's what they're saying. Okay? He clearly was. Okay? Why would Peter, okay... Why would Peter be denying Jesus Christ and lying about it when he clearly does know Jesus Christ to these people? Why? Because he wants to save his own skin. This is what he wants. He understands, if I say I follow Jesus Christ, they're most likely going to stone me. They're not even going to take the time to put me on a cross. They're just going to stone me. 
we see something like uh, in like Acts. I think it's what is it like chapter six? I think it's chapter six when when Stephen is killed. They literally just take uh, take Stephen outside, like or outside the gates or whatever, and they basically get approval by by Saul, who turns who turns into Peter or turns to Peter turns into Paul uh, later on and says, you know, can we can we kill him? And he's like, yeah, go ahead. And they stone him. He's probably Peter knows that they're going to kill him if he says, yeah, I follow him. So he, what is he doing? He's lying to save his own skin. So he's, he's lying. Okay. He's not genuine about denouncing Christ. He's in the heat of the moment, saving his own neck because he realizes what he has to say to stay alive. Because if he doesn't, he will be killed. And he understands this. Again, we see this is not a genuine denouncing of Christ. At no point does the Holy Spirit leave Peter. This is even at the end. You see how he he remembered people uh, in verse seventy five. Uh, Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken before the rooster crows. You're going to disown me three times. Jesus said it to him multiple times. What did he do? He went outside and he wept bitterly. He was ashamed of what he had just done. He was ashamed that he, he was willing to go through lying just to save his own skin. Now, ironically, this is funny. If you know this, you, you know this. If you don't know this, earlier on in Matthew, there's a part where basically Peter says, I will do anything for you. I will even die for you. It's ironic because at this point when death comes to knocking on his door, he says, nah, I'm out. He says, no, I can't do it. It's ironic. I think it's, it's kind of like a funny type of joke, but it, it, it makes sense. This is not a genuine, genuine denouncing of Christ. This is simply, he's in the heat of the moment and he needs to save his own skin. Now, ultimately, we see that even though this was a bad thing to do, it did turn out to still work out in his favor because he went on to write other books, write for the New, or the New Testament and do great things. God clearly used him as a tool like he did with Paul later on. So this was obviously, ultimately it was a bad situation, but still used for good. At no point was this a a genuine denouncing of the faith. At all. At no point did the Holy Spirit leave him, and at no point did he lose his salvation. He remained saved continuously. Okay? If it was a genuine denouncing of the faith, I would say otherwise. But it's not. This is the example. You cannot, as a true Believer filled with the Spirit genuinely denounce the faith because in order for this to happen, the kingdom will fall. Period. We're, that's it. So this does not work in your favor at all. Okay? At all. This doesn't work. So I guess we'll move on because that's about it for me. Uh, so we brought up both the, the sin and then we brought up the the idea that you could walk away. Um, you know, like First Corinthians uh, fifteen three clearly states it. You go through Matthew twelve, uh, right after the unforgivable sin, on what what Jesus says will happen if you stand against yourself. Or, or I guess it's true, but you know, he does say that. You know, like Satan stands against himself, or God stands against self. The kingdoms cannot stand. We see the example in uh, Matthew twenty six. Whatever. Okay, we we've clearly have proved, used Scripture to disprove both these hypothetical theories, right? None of these stand in a logical or biblical sense. They are contradictory. They contradict the Word of God itself. That's it. We've stated off the bat 
God cannot contradict himself. That's it. Okay? So these two do not work. So ultimately, I have not found yet a single outlet for the delusion of salvation. So, now that we're past these two points and it's been an hour, oh, I thought this was going to be a short episode. Now we're going to get into uh, just a few verses. I, I want to cut these out, but I don't want to cut these out at all, honestly. Um, I I could break... You know what? We're, we're going to do this real quick. I'm just going to... I still want to do this. I still want to bring this up. Um, I still want to bring it as, uh, as a topic. Um, so, so I have four different uh, scriptures that people have been using or I have seen used. Most of them are the more popular used one. The one I'm going to mention here is one that I found new. Uh, I don't think it's been out for too long. I think somebody recently has brought this out and it's kind of spread. I also only saw younger people using this. People who have no clue what's going on in the scripture and have no clue what context is. Okay? I saw one person. I saw one person. One person who is about my age, maybe a, maybe a few years older than me, like maybe like 27 or something, who made this claim as well. But everybody else were, were in their like late teens, man, maybe early 20s, who were making this. And this is because they don't know context. And they were like, okay, here's a verse flat out that proves you can lose your salvation. The verse is Revelation 2.5. This is a joke, Okay. The first three chapters of Revelation are the most simple thing to understand out of all of Revelation. I'm not kidding. The first three chapters are super easy to understand. It doesn't take a bad scientist. It doesn't take a a scholar of Jesus Christ who's been doing this for 500 years to understand this. Mechizedek doesn't have to come over here and explain this stuff to you. Okay? The first three chapters are letters to seven different churches at this time. Different things are going on differently in each one of these churches, and each one of them is a letter specifically to that church. Some of them are doing really good, so they have encouragement. Some of them are doing sins, and they're like, hey, stop, repent, get back on the right track, whatever, whatever, vice versa, we're going all over the place, whatever. Now, Revelation chapter 2, verse 5, it's technically, it's verses 1 through 7. Yeah, it's seven, because then eight goes to Smyrna. So the the first seven verses in chapter two are to the church of Ephesus. This is the context. Who's writing this? From what we know, it's John is writing, of course, in the Revelation. John is writing to the, the church of Ephesus in this context. Let's look at it, and let's look at verse five. You don't need any of the other verses, honestly, to prove this, but... I enjoy doing it anyways. Uh, verse five, uh, Chapter 2, verse 5 says, Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Okay, that's pretty good. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. First off, we figured out that the context is not, not talking about a singular individual person. It's talking about a church, a specific group of, of people. A church, a, a group of believers, clearly it states that, hey, you guys were doing something good, but look, uh, consider how far you have fallen. You, you started doing some sins. Repent and do the things you did at first, the good things. If you do not repent, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. A lot of people want to say that the lampstand represents their salvation or their soul. 
not really soul, but their salvation is saying. So, so then you want to say that John, who wrote this, is literally going to come to the church of Ephesus and rip salvation out of them? Oh, that's in that's oh that's a tricky one. Whew, I've never seen it done before, but I'm I'm interested. <laughs> that con- that doesn't make logical sense. He doesn't. You can't do that. That's not. That's not. A, that's not a spiritual gift at all. That's none of the gifts. Is the removal of salvation from a individual? It's not a thing. Or even from a group in a church. It's not a thing. Do you know what the lampstand represents here? It's referenced. Okay. And first off, we see that it's the church of Ephesus that he's writing to. He's saying, "Look, okay. Consider how far you've fallen. You've now started doing all these bad things. Repent. Do the things you did at first. When they started out in the beginning, they were doing great things. They were being a light for Christ, right? That's exactly what they were being. But now they've fallen. I don't know what sins they're talking about here. It doesn't really matter. Sins always sneak in. It's very tricky. Sins have fallen in. They're not repenting of these sins. They're not doing the good deeds and being light for Christ as they did in the beginning. Now they're falling into this darkness, into this shadow, and are not walking in the light. He says, I'm going to come over here. I'm going to take your lampstand away from you. Or I'm going to remove your lampstand from its place. Do you know what the lampstand represents, guys? The the lampstand represents the people who are in the church of Ephesus. It's It's a light for Christ. He's saying you guys are a light for Christ. Your church is a light for Christ. But you are you have fallen into sins. You do not repent. If you do not repent, you do not represent a light for Christ here. I'm going to come remove it, and we're going to put it in a church that actually is, is representing Christ. Okay? Repent. Repent of this stuff. This is this is not how this works. It's not saying I'm going to come over here and take your salvation. This is pathetic. I don't know why people... This young generation just absolutely astonishes me. I just wanted to throw this out here because this pisses me off. <laughs> I was like, if I if I have to go through this, you have to too. <laughs> I just... I, I had to, so... Okay. So, let's, let's move on to the next one. Uh, this one's going to take a minute to go through, but I, I'll, I'll get through it real quick because I took some notes on this, so... I'm hoping it does well. Um, this is found in Mark. Uh, I originally was going to use it in the book of Matthew, but I was like, I've already used too many verses from Matthew, so I'll jump to Mark. This is a parable. Uh, it's called the parable of the sower. Woo! Um, this is found in three of the four Gospels. This is found in Matthew chapter 13, in Mark chapter 4, and it's found in Luke chapter 8. I'm not going to tell you the verses. You got to read it for yourself. It, it doesn't appear in John, from what I understand. I, not at all. So I don't know if that, if there's a reason for that, or if it just wasn't there for a reason. So, so, the parable of the sower. I'm going to be in Mark chapter four, um, starting in verse three through eight. Yeah, that's what I'll do. Um, it says this is Jesus uh, basically teaching parables. Um, there's a large crowd around him. Uh, most of them won't understand this parable or don't understand this parable. And then he, of course, has his disciples. Um, verse 3 says, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell in the rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up qu- uh, quickly, but the soil was shallow. 
But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered away because they had no root. Other seed fell along thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain or did not produce fruits. It depends on what, what I guess, what version of the Bible you're reading. Unless you're reading Greek, good luck. Um, uh, still, other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, some 60, or even 100 times. It multiplied the fruits it had. It multiplied. So what do we see? Four different seeds are thrown. Okay? This is the throwing of the Word of God to four different types of people. Okay? I have, I think the first seed and the last seed are the ones that nobody really questions. Um, just, just to give you a fair bearing of what's happening. Uh, we'll go over the, I'll go over all of these anyways, but, uh, the first seed, uh, is the one that fell upon the path. Uh, uh, it's someone who basically makes the decision to follow Christ, quote unquote, but, but basically they come into the church or wherever, they're like, I, I give my life to Jesus. And then they go immediately just go back into their normal life. No repentance, no change. The Holy Spirit is not in them. There's nothing. There's no change. What does that mean? That means that was a false conversion to begin with. Okay? That, that's immediately what it is. The birds came up and, and eat, ate it. This is talking about somebody who hears the word. But then Satan comes quickly and snatches it away from them so that they can fall immediately back into their normal sinful lives. Real simple. The person never had salvation to begin with. Period. Okay? Um, we go into the, let's say, the second one. Uh, it says rocky places. Uh, I don't... I know it says something else. I just don't have it on me right now. I don't know the other version. But it, it probably references rocky. Or, uh, I don't know. I call this shallow because... Or, or the shallow soil because it the shallow soil was referenced in this. So I'm going to call it shallow soil. But it's the rocky places. So, uh, so... The one, the seed that falls upon the shallow soil. What is this? This is the one who receives with joy, right? Uh, some of you, I'm sure most of your your Bibles actually say that they re- they receive it with joy, right? They receive the word with joy. First off, that seems like a great sign. That really does. But what happens? Okay. But once that joy fades, they leave. So they're putting. They're not putting their faith in Jesus, right? So so. They, they, there was no root, right? Because this is shallow. This is the rocks. It even states that because this, uh, the soil was shallow, it sprang up quickly uh, because the soil was shallow, right? It, it, it seems like somebody who's kind of, they immediately take the word of God with with uh, with joy, with happiness, with some type of emotion. But then something happens, right? We see that it seems that they were rather and because it be, uh, let me go back because of the shallow or the shallow soil uh because they had no root the sun came up the plants were scorched and they withered away because they had no root what is this this is someone who basically they have joy oh if you know i i think i get it you know i'm saved all this and stuff but they're putting their faith in something else uh, a good way to look at this is when it mentions joy, it talks about how uh, they're actually they're not putting their faith in Christ. They're putting their faith in this 
emotion or this maybe this experience there are certain people who do this um i'm not going to reference those people <laughs> but talk about how how you have to feel something you you have to you have to do some type of miracle to actually if you can't do this miracle you're not even saved in the first place right um or you know they put all their faith in this joy i'll use joy here because it's probably in your versions uh, it's in, it's pretty much in all versions. Um, you have this joy, you have this emotion, right? Right. They're putting their faith in this emotion, right? This great, great feeling emotion, but they're not putting their faith in Christ. What will happen to that emotion? What happens to all emotions? Eventually, as time goes on, those fade away. It doesn't mean it won't come back. It means that it will fade away. When you're happy, you're doing good, but then something bad happens. That happiness fades away, right? Right, you get depressed. Yeah, you get. I'm just gonna say depressed. I'm not gonna go deeper into that topic. They they put their emotions or they put their uh, beliefs uh, on these emotions or these experiences. Um, but ultimately, there is no change at all because they were weren't relying on faith in Christ to begin with. Uh, the third one, what is this? Uh, the thorns. Cool, the thorns. Uh, <laughs> uh, other seed fell upon the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. The thorns are choking the plants so that they did not bear grain or did not bear fruits. I'm going to say this off the bat. You're probably going to pick this up because I mentioned it off the base, the first three things I talked about. If a believer claims to be saved and does not produce fruits... There is no salvation to begin with. Okay? James chapter 2 gives great detail of this. Okay? Now, James chapter 2 is completely misrepresented and twisted in so many bad ways. But if you understand it correctly, James chapter 2 does speak on this. It it talks about this. Right? And I already mentioned the other verses like Matthew 7, 15 through 20 talks about the uh, a good tree bears good fruit, a bad tree bears uh, bears bad fruit a good tree cannot bear bad fruit and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit vice versa you will produce it uh, you will produce fruits as a believer this one is not producing fruits that's weird it's almost as if they're not saved to begin with so what does this mean this this is talking about someone who's a uh, they f- they feel like they've been saved but or they or maybe they even professed yeah i've been saved what this and that right um but there's too much focus, uh, too much distraction, and too much worries of the things of this world. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's some type of relationships. Uh, uh, maybe like lust. Maybe it's like friends. I don't know. You, you pick the things of the world. You fill in the blank. I don't care what you do. Uh, because of this, they start to show who they really are. And as time goes on, they lose interest in the things of God and only focus on worldly things. Things that bring fleshly, uh, fleshly enjoyment. We talked about this earlier. Uh, the things of the flesh and the things of the spirit do not coexist. Uh, like Galatians 5.17 talks about how uh, uh, the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh so that you are not to do whatever you want. This is talking about you desire to do the flesh, but you need to work and have faith to do uh the desires of the spirit as a believer right don't fall into these simple desires these again these are again 
like when it talks about thorns, maybe it says weeds, right? That doesn't happen overnight. That's a, a process, right? This person seems to have interest in Christ. It's all dandy, but they're slowly drifting. They, they just, they're not really here. They don't care. I mean, yeah, maybe they're going to church. Maybe they're in some Bible study, but they're not really focused on it. They, they're distracted. They have worries. They focus too much on things in the world, which will perish, by the way. Okay? The things of the world, the things of the flesh, the things that will not go with you when you leave, the things that get destroyed by the moth, the moths and are rusted away like the metals, right? I, I told you I can't, I can't tell you where that is. I, I don't know where that is. Um, <laughs> talk, uh, talk about like building riches for heaven, not building riches for the world. That's what this person is doing is building riches for the world, not building riches for heaven. Again, showing there is no salvation in them to begin with because they did not produce fruits. Single-handedly, they did not produce fruits, period. Okay? Uh, th- uh, the final one, uh, also, uh, what is it? Later on, it gives more detail later on in the, uh, just in Mark. Uh, what is it? It's Mark, uh, Mark uh, chapter 4, 13 through, uh, verses 13 through 20 explain these each in pretty much detail and you can compare these side by side with my explanations uh they go pretty much go hand in hand so um uh the last one is uh the seed that falls what on good soil it came up it grew it even produced fruits or a crop and it multiplied some multiplied 30 or 60 or even 100 times if we see a representation of someone who has received the Holy Spirit and who is growing and it's being sanctified through the Holy Spirit that resides within them. They're growing in the faith. They're growing in their understanding. They're growing in their wisdom. And they're producing crops, multiplying. They're growing because they have the right roots, the right uprising, or growth, should I say, because they have roots and they they don't get because they have roots they don't get burned up because they're not around these uh, they don't have these focuses on things of the world they don't get choked up by the weeds because their focus is not of this world. That's what a believer is. That's a child of Christ. Again, these are four seeds representing four individual types of people. Three of them have no salvation at all. Only one actually is saved so that's that's the parable the sower i don't know why i took notes on this it was kind of yeah so parable of the sower um yeah this is a long episode i'm not gonna lie but i guess i haven't done episodes in forever so i'll just keep going it's wow it's pretty late um also if if this is like a midway session here i got like two more things to mention and i'm done but <laughs> If, for all the episodes I've done alone, all of them I've edit, I've edited. I've been editing this episode as I've been doing it. You, I've even to this point, I've cut out multiple things that I've had to cut out. So just just to be clear, I don't do this when I have guests. I don't do this when me, it's me and David. It's just raw. But I'm alone. I say a lot of things. I get off track, and I cut these things out. <laughs> so so that's that's that. Um, uh, okay, let's, let's, let's look at this other one that people want to use. Um, ironically, this is funny. Uh, I got to talk to a multitude of people 
in person. Some of them I was able to talk to over the phone or text. And then I, I did a lot of, I watched debates. I look at people, uh, defenses. Like on YouTube, I watch so many YouTube videos of people like, here's why you can't lose your salvation or here's why you can't. Them bring out verses, using them in context. At least they think they're using them in context. All these things. So this is where I got all my information from. I, this is ultimately what I made the choice of what verses to use, what things to go after, and what to leave behind. Um, uh, there was one thing I, I initially was going to talk about, and it was another t- parable, and it's found in Matthew 25. It's a parable about the ten virgins. That's incredibly misused. Also, if you need to understand the context of that, you need to know that Matthew 25 and Matthew 24... Both chapters are in the same context, okay? So in order to understand anything in 25, you need to go back to chapter 24. Me personally, I think both the, I think chapter 24 and 25 of Matthew should, should be one chapter. Personally, I think it, not, not for me, but for everybody else who doesn't know how to use context correctly and will constantly twist things for their desires. Ah, because we have itching ears. <laughs> I'm sorry. I shouldn't be made. Um, yeah. Anyways, <laughs> what are we on? Uh, Galatians two? No, it's not two. What? Oh, that's right. That's my reference. Uh, Galatians five four. Uh, this may be a common phrase you've heard, where it talks about falling away from grace. So, let's talk about it, right? Okay. Um. So in Galatians chapter five. Uh. uh I guess I'll just read verse four. I won't. I won't read anything beforehand because I don't want to spoil it for you. Uh, Galatians chapter five, verse four says, "You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace." I'm not gonna lie. I don't need the other verses to instantly disprove this theory. I'm just saying it's clearly stated in this verse. But people don't like context. And I don't like people who don't like context. You irritate me. So, um, <laughs> you also twist the word of God a lot. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. Let's see. Okay. Uh, what is this? So, Paul's talking here, right? Who is he talking to? He's not talking to everybody. He's not talking to everybody, right? Assuming if you're saved, he's not talking to you. Unless you claim to be saved by the by the what? The law. I know, right? Interesting. You see, earlier on in Galatians chapter 2, Paul already gives the explanation for what he is mentioning now. As long as you understand the context of what goes on in uh, in Galatians chapter 2, this is an easy breeze. Like You can slide through this. Play. I, I, I get it. Let's keep going on to other stuff. But if you don't understand this, you're going to twist the word of God very well here, and I'm going to call you out on it. Uh, I got to talk to somebody, uh, well, it was like a few weeks ago. I got to talk, as I said, I got to talk to multiple people in person. Uh, they gave me their opinions, where they stand, uh, and they, they even referenced some verses. Uh, I, I I did, uh, I guess you could say I did a poll, give or take. I asked a, a group of people. Mo- and when I asked them, none of them knew I asked someone else. So they probably thought I was only asking them. Most of them don't know I asked other people. But a few of them kind of found out. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. Uh, I don't think there was an issue there. I, stomach, I mean, who cares? Uh, I did a poll. So what I found was this was the people around me, okay? I got to talk to some people I know personally, and I got to talk to people in my church. 
I did a poll. Some of them I actually, after hearing uh, what they thought or where they stood, I was able to talk to them in person, which is nice. Um, one of them actually, I asked them this, and they said, you know what, can we can we talk about this in person? I'm not going to say who this was because some people would know who I'm talking about if I said their name. But <laughs> And I mean no disrespect. I'm not trying to say so, but I'm probably going to say something disrespectful to them about this. Um, because I find this to be a very dangerous thing. So, so, um, we were talking about it, uh, you know, I immediately, I was like, okay, what do you think about it? Like, first off, without even referencing scripture, where do you stand? He told me, right? And I, I've, I know a few different people who said this to me in person. I know a few people who said this, whatever. They're like, well, I'm, I'm on the fence. I was like, okay, first off, I get it. That makes sense. They're like, okay. It brought up we brought up two different two different passages. One of them was Galatians five four, but that was the second one I brought up. I wasn't able to bring up the first one because they didn't want to use context with me. So I said, screw it. I'm going to jump to Galatians five four because this is super easy to understand. Okay, super easy. It, it clearly states it. The person wanted to talk about how look at this verse. Okay, and that's actually the next. The next passage, which which will be the last one I'm going to bring up because it's going to take me forever to explain and because nobody seems to understand it, and it took me so long to understand it. Um, that was the first one we talked about, but because he consists, I would I was like, okay, let's look at context. I would mention it. He's like, no, that's just, that's not it. I was like, okay. I didn't say this to him, but I was like, okay, he's not playing the context game. He doesn't care about context. If you don't care about context, I don't know why you even think, like, what do you, who do you think you're going to challenge here? Anybody who understands the right context, right? They're going to wipe you. I, I mean this. They're going to destroy you with scripture. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So if you use context that is not the correct context of that, whatever verse you're going for, it doesn't matter if it's this topic or something else. If someone else comes to you and they know the context of what you're referencing, they will wipe the floor with you. I'm not kidding. You don't you don't do that because then then when you twist uh, when you twist scripture and change the context you are making God a liar in almost every single scenario. I can't think of any where it's not, but I've been proven wrong before. So, um, but ultimately you're not even using it the right way God intended it and how He wrote it and how He spoke it clearly in scripture. So I brought this verse up and I was like, okay, He doesn't want to talk about. The, the other verse, the other passage in context, I was like, okay, Galatians 5.4 is a very commonly known uh, passage. It's a very commonly known verse. I, I can almost instantly reference falling away from grace. People know generally know that passage, even if they don't know that it's in Galatians, right? A lot of people know this, and a lot of people will use this to try and prove the losing of salvation, saying clearly it states, right, this guy has fallen away from grace. Well, if you haven't been saved, how can you fall away from salvation? And I said, that is a great question because I can still disprove it. So, he uh, ultimately, uh, because the person didn't want to use context when I was talking to them, what they were saying was that somebody who wants to be justified by the law could be saved. And I said, that's not possible. That's not po- that is clearly, clearly, clearly stated by Paul earlier, just earlier on in Galatians. I'm not even going to go anywhere else. Okay, so let's go through verse four. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. 
So who is being talked to here? Someone who is what? Trying to be justified by the law. Not by faith, not by works, not by anything else you can think of. They're trying to be justified by the law specifically, right? That's what they're talking about. That is who Paul is speaking to. Anyone, anyone who's trying to be justified by the law. He says, you have fallen away from uh, from grace. You have alienated yourself. That's not good. So, in order to say that falling away from grace means to lose in salvation, you have to make the claim that you can be saved, or in this case, justified by the law. Can you be saved by the law? Let's look at Galatians 2, <laughs> where Paul specifically states this. Uh, to give you a little context here, this is Galatians 2, uh, is verses 15 and 16. Uh, this, just to give a little, uh, a little context, this is Paul basically calling out or confronting Peter, because Peter's doing something he shouldn't be doing. Anyways, um, he's being a snob. Anyways, besides the point, uh, you can go look at that on your own if you want. Uh, uh, Galatians 2, 15. We who are Jews by nature are not sinners but uh, of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. That's interesting. But by faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. He just clearly stated the only way to salvation is by faith in Christ. It's not by justification by the law. So then, what do we have to go go back to in Galatians 5? Okay, you who are in verse 4. You who are trying to be justified by the law. What did he Paul just say? You, a non-child of Christ, someone who has no salvation, you have alienated yourself. You have fallen away from grace. A lot of you may think, okay, then what does falling away from grace means? I'm going to give you the most basic way I understand it and what it means. So, you have these groups, whether it's today or back at that time, okay, right? They're being told you just need faith, right? It's, salvation is in the palm of their hand. They just have, it's right in front of them, right? They just have to take it because it's a free gift. Just take it. Just believe in your heart. That's all it is. But instead of taking the gift, what do they do? They say, you know what? I don't need it. I have another way I can get to heaven. I have another way to be saved by obeying the law, by being justified by the law. When he says you fall away from grace, he's saying, I have explained, you understand that salvation is by faith, but yet somehow, some way, your mind is twisted. I don't know how. Maybe your hearts are twisted or hardened. And you think there's another way to salvation. When when I, Paul, or Peter, or anybody else is telling you the only way for salvation to occur is through faith through Jesus Christ. Period. And it is because of grace. That's it. That is what Galatians 2, 15 and 16 state. For by the works of the law shall no flesh, no man, be saved. That's it. You cannot, if you want to say that that's talking about losing salvation, you're making the claim. And there's no way around this. Okay? You're making the claim 
that someone who is being justified by the law has salvation. And I say that's that's absolutely incorrect. Because then you're making then you're saying there's more than one way to heaven. And I say that's incorrect. You would ultimately be making God a liar in this case. And after what we already went through, that God can't contradict or lie or any of that, you're actually the one lying. So that's how that works. So that doesn't work either. But I, I, I uh, very much enjoy that you brought it up. Um, I think it's a great topic. Um, easy, really easy to break down, to be honest. Um, uh, I don't have any of this up here. I don't know why I have some of these verses here now. Um, oh, oh, I know why I have these because that's what this topic is. I, <laughs> okay. Um, I have First Peter here. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, wait. Actually, I don't know why I have First Peter one nine or one nineteen up here. But in precious blood of Christ. With my... I don't know what I, I. I lost track. See, I didn't write this stuff down. This is completely going from off the noggin at this point. <sighs> oh shoot! I didn't bring up. Okay, no. Wait, is that why that's there? It's not verse nineteen. What am I doing? It's verse twenty three. What? I understand. I, it was the wrong verse. It was the same. It was the right book in the chapter. It's just the wrong verse. Okay, I, I wonder. I was confused on that. I was so confused. I was like, why didn't I write that down? That makes no sense. I don't get it. I was on the wrong verse. The uh, right chapter, right page, all that. But I had to go a few, a few verses down. I know what I'm talking about there. Okay, you don't know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about First Peter one twenty three. But we'll talk about that later. All right. Now here's the big one. Uh, first off. Uh, this is uh, what I found to be single-handedly, at least for the topic of losing salvation, single-handedly the most used, the most popular, and the most twisted scripture I saw. I, I, there was nothing. Everything I've included in here is not nearly as popular or nearly as referenced as this verse or this passage, technically. It's three verses alone. Okay? I want you to understand this. I have spent almost a year, it might actually be over a year now, studying this. And it wasn't until like two weeks ago that I figured this out. This is why I did not do an episode for so long. Because I knew the next time I did an episode, which is now, would be on this topic. And I said, I am going to talk about this passage. And I cannot talk about it if I do not, if I, if I can't understand it. Period. So I had to make sure I understood it. And finally, voila. Actually, it was like last week where I figured this out. I finally figured it out. <laughs> it, it, it works. It doesn't contradict a single thing. <laughs> it took me so long to figure this Bro, <laughs> I want to die. This was awful. I mean, I'm, I'm happy. I, I know it now. Um, So, what is it? It's, I didn't say it. Uh, it's Hebrews 6. It's Hebrews chapter 6 verses 4. Through six, right? Four, why do I have four eight? I mean, eight's involved. Not six. It's four through six. It's three verses. Um, I will use the other verses around it to help understand things. But ultimately, that is the one that is in question. What happens here is while I've been studying this, you know, I actually found this out. So I mentioned how somebody was using... At the beginning, I said the the ultimate reason why I jumped into this what finally cut to was somebody pissed me off enough to where I said I'm done, let's get into it, and everybody and I stopped getting you know like this topic thrown in my face, right? 
the person or the the Catholic girl who did this, it was this verse. It was Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. She double contradicted. Not only did she purposely twist the word of God, she then retwisted it back to the original meaning and twisted it again. She double contradicted herself. And I was like, I don't think she double contradicted herself. Okay. She, she twisted the word of God twice to make it fit into her own um, belief or doctrine. Um, so uh, I have spent so long studying this. I have uh, no doubt about it. I have read Hebrews 6 verses 4 through 6 more times than I've read any other single verse in the Bible in my life. This is not a joke. I have not even read John three sixteen as much as I have read this verse or this passage technically. I have spent so long trying to study this. And as time went on, God was slowly sprinkling little nuggets, but I, I didn't have the right information to put all the pieces together. And then finally, I got it, and I said, I'm done. We're done. This topic, this single-handedly, before I even explain this, I want I want you to know this. Assuming you understand what I'm about to explain, and I, I hope I explain this well, um, I hope I do a job, a good job of explaining this. But assuming you ex- you understand it fully, assuming you understand the context completely, and assuming you understand it exactly the same way, I'm I'm hoping I can uh, explain it to you. You will never. There is not a single verse in the Bible that will con- that can challenge these three verses. Nowhere in Scripture, Galatians five four will never be able to challenge this. Okay. Uh, revelation to uh, any parable that people want to use, this will single-handedly prove that you cannot lose your salvation. If you thought my topic about how you could commit a sin and that, that you don't need that. Yeah, that's great. I had to build upon this because I would have loved to just have started the episode off with just talking about this. I didn't want to talk about the rest of these verses or be even build these foundations. But I understood that if you didn't understand these, and ultimately if you weren't in agreement with these, you're never going to understand this verse or this passage. You're never going to do it. So, um, first off, let me just state, uh, I don't know who wrote Hebrews. <laughs> no one really does. It's uh, I think it's widely believed that either Paul or Barnabas has. I've seen people say it's Timothy. Uh, I saw somebody say it was uh, Pris- Priscilla. I, I I can't say that guy's name. Oh, my. I can't say his name. Who cares? Whatever floats your boat. I don't care. I'm not saying who I think it is. It doesn't ultimately matter because it's still the word of God. And whoever wrote this, God was clearly using it as a tool for us and for his glory. So, Hebrews 6. Let's. You know what? We're not even going to look at the stuff in the past. We're just going to jump into this immediately. I have I have spent time trying to understand this, and I've I, I I couldn't really fathom how this could possibly make sense. I was like, okay, let's say hypothetically, this just means losing salvation. I was like, it just it doesn't work. It contradicts itself. It does. You're going to notice this after I explain it. There are multiple contradictions in this passage. So. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 6. Actually, I have my Bible open for this one. I didn't want to look on the screen. Uh, oh, no, not, not verse 6. It's verse 4 to 6. Okay, it, and it states, 
It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. I know, right? <laughs> this is super easy for me that I know it, but it, it, it's... To wrap your head around it, just it, if you don't understand it, no matter what you try, if you don't, if you don't interpret it correctly, no matter what you do, you will never be able to understand it. You will always make God to be a liar, no matter how you twist it. So, certain people uh, want to use this verse and say, "Look at it; it proves you can lose your salvation." Okay, this is both a yes/no scenario. Uh, I'm not going to get into the second half. First off. How that, that it doesn't, okay? It doesn't teach the losing of salvation. It speaks of the losing of salvation. Those are not the same thing. It talks about it, but it is not affirming or confirming. Why did I say the same thing twice? Or, or teaching that you can lose your salvation. It's talking about the topic. It actually is talking about the losing of salvation, specifically. And when you look around the piece, and when you look at the verses beforehand, the verses after, it is talking about losing salvation. This is exactly what this topic is, losing salvation. Uh, we'll go through it. It's impossible for those who have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit. So they have the Holy Spirit? Well, they have to be saved. Who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age. That's a saved person. You, you can slice this cake however you want. I'm letting you know right now. That's a saved person person that's someone who is saved it took me forever to come to grasp with that I, i'm not kidding you i have looked for ways i was like this is ta- I, I, I at one point i was like this is talking about someone who hasn't ha- who hasn't been saved yet but they're right there at the point of salvation and they still walk away that's what it's talking about no it's not verses four through six is talking about someone who is well versus is it four is just four where's five from the play oh yeah no verses four and five that's a saved person. Someone has the Holy Spirit. Is a true, born-again believer. Period. Okay? Now, you, you, this is going to be difficult to grasp, okay? So you have to you have to roll with the punches here. You have to... You, if you're not open-minded, you're never going to understand this. You have to be willing to be okay with contradictions for now. And I know, I know I said, like, other contradictions, this, that, that, whatever. These contradict. Just roll with the punches with me for a second because you it's going to be difficult to understand if you don't. Okay? So, clearly, verses 4 and 5 of chapter 6 of Hebrews implies and states this person is saved. Whoever this person is, this person is saved. Fully saved. Affirming their salvation. Now, let's move on to verse 6. Okay? Verse 6, what does it say? It says, And who have fallen away? Falling away. What does that mean here? That means losing salvation. I, I I don't. I'm not. I'm not challenging anybody on this one. If if you believe in the losing salvation and you use this for it, that's what it means. No, no, no. You say you can say I'm a heretic all day. This doesn't teach the losing salvation. It speaks of the losing salvation. I'll say that again. This is talking about falling away. They walked away from the faith. They're done. They denounce God. 
the Holy Spirit that is genuine through verses 4 and 5 said we're done. They did it. They successfully did it. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, and who have fallen away from, fallen away. Okay, to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of Man, or the, the Son of God, sorry, all over again, and what? Subjecting him to grace, or disgrace. Why did I say grace? I'm sorry. <laughs> I looked away from it. I thought I just knew the word. <laughs> I forgot the D-I-S in there. So what happened when Jesus, uh, ultimately in Jesus' death, what happened? He was ridiculed and, uh, ridiculed and mocked. We even saw that when we were looking at Matthew. Like when Jesus, we saw the people who were talking to Peter were also the same people who were absolutely, who were spitting in his face. In Jesus' face, spitting on him, kicking him, punching him, slapping him, say, you know, you know, prophesy to me. Who punched you? When they clearly just punched him. They're making a fool of him. And even when he's on the cross, leading up to this moment, that's what they're doing. Until the moment his until the moment he dies, they're mocking him, disgracing him. That's what happened. Okay? Also, what does it say? Uh, to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God again. That's really easy to understand. What did Jesus do? Or what happened to Jesus ultimately? He died on the cross. He was crucified. Now, yes, he rose three days later. I get that. Okay, let's. <laughs> we're not going to go into these full in-depth topics. I, I'm just picking pieces out so that you understand it. He was crucified. So what does this statement... First off, there are two contradictions here. But I don't think I can get into them yet because I I feel like I'll, I'll mess things up really badly for you if I do this. Right here, verses 4 through 6 is saying, you can lose your salvation. Here's what happens. Plain. I mean, it's this is a silver platter. I'm sorry. When I say silver platter, I was thinking of John the Baptist when he died. I'm going to cry. Um, sorry. I'm not <laughs> I love John the Baptist, man. Uh, I'm not, we're not doing that. Um, so we need to look at a few things here. So we went over, right? Verses four through six is definitely talking about someone who is saved and who has lost salvation. This is no if, and, or buts. <laughs> One T, not two. I don't know why I keep talking. I need to just shut my mouth to be honest. Okay. Uh, earlier I mentioned how I think Matthew chapter 4, or not 4, chapter 24 and 25 should be in the, ch the same chapter. I'm going to say the same thing here. For context, I think it was a little dicey with the placements of chapters. Ultimately, I would say at least parts, at least they, they, they cut it off way too early or way too late. Um, at the end of, of Hebrews 5, it starts talking about its subject, and then it flows into the first three verses, right? The first three, uh, the first three verses of Hebrews, and then we jump into Hebrews six four through four through six. Okay, you need to understand both the things before verses four through six and the things after, so that we can understand context. This topic, okay? Whoever wrote this, there are two things you can recognize simultaneously first off this is talking to you right now it's talking to you there's one spot in here where it's actually not talking about you uh what is it verse nine yes verse nine 
first basically verse 9 through 12 that has nothing to do with you by the way that has to do with the people who the writer is talking to at this moment in time when this was written um but the rest of it the rest of it this is you it's talking to you it doesn't matter where you stand it's talking to you it's talking to me now luckily i know where i stand so it's pretty easy <laughs> it's talking to you though okay so what it says uh at the end of or not at the end but at the the, the very end of yeah i guess the, the very end and the last few verses of Hebrews 5. Well, Hebrews 5 is pretty short. Honestly, all of Hebrews is short. They're like 20 verses, man. Like, there's still more than 30 verses in a chapter. I'm like, whoo! I should have started reading here first. <laughs> These are short verses or short chapters. What are there? Uh, 14 verses in chapter 5? Hebrews 5? Yeah, there's only 14 verses. In chapter in chapter 5 of Hebrews, at verse 11, it talks about a subject, and it goes all the way through. It's a single topic that goes all the way to the end of verse 12 of chapter 6. This is the context, and you need to know all of it and understand it and dissect it so that you can fully comprehend it in order to understand verses 4 through 6. Okay? So what is four? What is uh, chapter five, verse eleven? Say we're going to read this all the way to verse uh, three of chapter six. I'll just read it. Uh, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Right? We're talking about maturity here. We're talking about milk is for infants, and meat is for uh, the mature, the grown, clearly. this That's the simplest way I'm going to give it to you. It's very easy to understand. Let's keep going. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment, and God permitting we will do so. That is talking about maturity, right? To the people, and ultimately you, Okay, if you're on the fence on this topic of losing salvation, or you affirm this, this the losing of salvation, even after everything else I said, which I really don't think has done much, but maybe it has. Okay, little nuggets of truth are always fun. It's talking to you. It's also talking to you who believes you can't lose your salvation, but don't understand it enough, who can't flesh it out, who can't explain it. It's talking to you as well. So. This topic is why I call uh, the losing of salvation. First off, before we continue on this, this is why I called this a worthless or waste of my time, stupid topic. Why? Because this is milk. This is not meat. This entire topic is milk, not meat. Every single thing I've brought, I, I have brought things. We talk about Galatians four five or five four. That's not talking about losing salvation. That's talking about somebody trying to be justified by the law. That is not the same topic. 
You look at Revelation 2.5. Let's talk about being a, a light for Christ in the church of Ephesus specifically. The parable of the sower represents four people. Only one of them actually will go and make it salvation. This is why I mean, none of these work. Okay? They don't work for the loser salvation. This is why is, I just explained a variety of multiple texts in their actual context that have nothing to do with this topic. That's what I just did. That's it. I wasted my time going through milk instead of getting to the meat because this topic is not meat. So what do we see here? What is happening? What the writer, okay? Actually, you know what? Let's jump. Let's jump to, uh, we'll go, we already did verses four through six. Let's go to seven real quick. Uh, we'll do seven and eight. Uh, land that drinks in the rain. This is after uh, verse six, I guess. I'll just say that. I don't want to reread it. It's, uh, verse seven. Land that drinks in the rain often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful for those from whom it is farmed receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Something I here's a little nugget of information. Uh, I mentioned how things are connected. And the topics I've been talking about are connected in a, a way. Um, another topic I ran into that I haven't even referenced yet, and I'm going to reference it here because we're talking about land that produces thistles. Thistles. I can't. Gosh, I can't say that. And thorns. Right, in the end it will be burnt. Do you know one of the references this is? Do you know what else? you know another uh, another passage in the Bible that makes a reference like this? That are in the same context? The parable of the vine and the branch in John 15. The, the one I did, the episode I did that was solely on that passage. And how I clearly stated, this is not teaching the losing of salvation. Because it's not. I've seen people... Also use that to try. I didn't bring that up in here because I've already did a full episode. I'm not wasting my time on it. That is another thing. This is a reference. That, they coincide. There are other references to this. Look. Here's the deal. When it talks about in, in like, uh, what is it, Matthew 7, 15 through 20. Is that right? I have it written down. Yeah, Matthew chapter 7, 15 through 20. It talks about the good tree and the bad tree. The good tree produces good fruits, and it can't produce bad fruits. The bad tree produces bad fruits, and it cannot produce good fruits. As as whether you're saved or you're not saved, you produce fruits. But only someone who is a child of Christ produces good fruits. These fruits can go through the fire and not be burned. Because they're fruits of God. They're fruits of the Spirit. They're, they're, they're made through the Holy Spirit, sanctifying you and working in your life, producing these things. But the fruits you produce outside, separated from Christ, not of not of Christ, but living in the flesh, they're thorns. And ultimately, what's going to happen to them? They're going to burn. Okay? That's what this is talking about. This makes a subtle reference to it. This is, again, verses 7 through 8. Again, makes a reference that I've already said. You, as a believer, you will produce fruits. Assuming you don't die off the start. <laughs> but, but you will produce fruits for the Lord. Okay? Right? Even the vine and the, 
the, vine, the parable of the vine and the branch speaks of this and how the one who does not produce fruits is not a believer, is not a true born-again child of Christ who does not have the Holy Spirit and who is not saved. They will be burned, right? Anyone who chooses to deny Christ and live separated from him will live eternally separated from him. I'm not going to get into the whole fire and brimstone stuff. That's simple, simple stuff, okay? And that's what it's being referenced here. Is that you're not producing fruits, you're not a believer. If you're producing fruits, that's a clear sign that you're a believer, okay? Now, I'm going to go to nine real quick. Um, I'll just go through the rest of this to, what is this? Verses nine through 12. Um, this isn't actually talking to you. This is talking to the people he wrote this to. Whoever wrote this is writing this to, to the group. Okay. Um, it says, even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case. Okay. He's talking to a, a group. He's talking to certain people that are not you because everybody in here is dead by now other than God. But <laughs> we are convinced of better things in your case. The things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what inherit what has been promised. This is a specific reference to the people at this time, not to you. That's why I said verses 9 through 12. They don't have to do with you. But the rest of the stuff I mentioned, it has to do with them and you. So don't skip over that because that's part of the context. Um, one thing you'll notice here, and this took me a while, and I just recently noticed it. If you pay attention, you can actually tell the uh, the tone. Now, I understand the person who wrote this is not standing in front of you reading this, how they wrote it. But you can see the tone, okay? So you go from uh, chapter 5, verse 11, to verse 3 of chapter 6. It's encouragement. Hey, look, you're on this milk. Put that stuff down. Let's mature. And then what happens in verse 4? It is impossible. The tone changes. You don't have to emphasize this at all when you speak. Okay, the tone change. It, it, this is a change in the person speaking. It, it, it's like as if the writer went from, "Look, you guys aren't maturing. You know, we're not. We don't need to lay down these foundational things again. We need to move on to mature things." You know, he's encouraging them out of all the out of the blue. Verses four through six, he jumps. He changes the tone. What happens in verse seven? The tone. A verse at the the tone that was originally in verse three and beforehand in chapter five verse eleven all the way to verse three of chapter six, it then continues back on verse seven. So we see a skip. The tone from uh, chapter five verse eleven to chapter six verse three is the exact same tone that starts in verse seven. We see a skip of tone. This tone is very useful to, for you to understand this. You can you can recognize this, you know, if if you pay attention to this. I don't know, you know, I I don't know who's listening to this and knows this or has a very interesting twisting of the word of God here. But this is something to be useful. Um, the way I learned this was not the way I'm going to teach it. 
and this is because uh, most likely I'm assuming everybody listening, I had more time to study this, and it took me significantly more time to break it down and to actually comprehend it. So I'm giving you a cheat code here. This is a one-time deal, okay? But that's because iron sharpens iron, so. So what happens here? So we need to understand something. I'm going to bring up a word. Did I bring up that Greek word? Oh, thank the Lord. I did not bring that up. I'm not done. If you think we're done, I had to give a basic outline of this. Okay. I did. Oh, I'll, I'll have to remember to say that at the end. I forgot to mention that at the beginning of the episode. I have it written down on the board, too. I can't believe I missed that. Okay, whatever. Okay. What the writer does in verses 4 through 6. When I first read this, out of the blue, a year ago, somebody brought this up. It happened to be this Catholic priest or whatever I saw on TikTok at the time. He was he wore the little vest with the, the white collar thing. I don't know what you call that. I don't know. Yamaka. It's not a yamaka. I'm kidding. He brought this verse up, which is originally what first got me interested and what got me kind of, I need to understand it, but I can't. That's where this originally started. And ultimately, I got it a few weeks back, finally understand it. So patience and uh, what trust and uh, patience again, I guess, in Christ is what got me here. Um, where was I? Okay. Versus, so so we see this argument, right? You can see this, right? In, in, in chapter 5, verse 11, going to verse 3 of chapter 6. What's happening? I'm going to say the same thing that I said. Or I'm going to I'm going to use the same type of topic when I talked about the Peter situation, right? Who are the people? Who are the people? If you're one of the people in here, who are the people? These people have fear. This is first off the only fear you're supposed to have as believers: fear of the Lord. And this is not the fear of the Lord. Okay, we're not getting into that topic. This is not the fear of the Lord. That's the only type of fear you can think of, and that's not even what you think it is. Well, actually, most of you probably know what that is, but I don't know what you know. You know, I don't know who knows what and who's not, so I'm just generally assuming you don't know anything, which is how I like to do it. <laughs> um, verse 11 of 5 going to 3, we went over it, right? This is talking about the milk, talking about maturity. We need to move on. Why are these people not moving on? Why are you not moving on? Because you have fear. What do you have fear of? Fear is specifically stated at the beginning of verse 6. Falling away, right? And who have fallen away. It gave it. Verses 4 through 6 explains the, the beginning part. Why you need to grow. And it explains the second half. Okay? explains this these people are being taught and this is reference to you as well anybody who has this type of fear and doesn't understand this what fear do these people have we know the exact type of fear and what is the issue for them not being able to grow anymore he's clearly stating look look you need you need someone to teach you the elemental truths of god word all over again why we've already applied this we've already done this why because you have something you're not willing to let go of. You don't understand scripture. You're not maturing. So you're stuck on the milk and you can't grow. Why can't you grow? What fear is holding you back? Now, of course, the writer knows what fear is holding them back. It's the possibility that they're scared that they either either have lost or could possibly lose the salvation that they have 
now gained. That's what it's talking about. That's what he's teaching. You put it in context all you want. That's exactly what it's teaching. You put anything else in here, you immediately make the word of God a lie. You make God a liar and you contradict his own word against himself if you put anything else in here. There is no other context that works in this way. This is why this one works. Because it's the only one that doesn't contradict the word of God throughout the entire passage. Throughout the everything I've just read you. Does not contradict. This is single-handedly why it does not it, why it's the only thing you'll ever need in the rest of your life for somebody who brings up the loser's salvation is this alone. Once you understand it, you will never forget it. Why is he teaching? Why are these people scared? I don't know why these people are scared of losing salvation. I don't know why you're scared of losing salvation. What have you, you been talking to the Pope? Pfft, I'm not gonna. I'm not making that joke. I'm not. Whew, I almost made a bad joke right there. That would have been bad. Um. Okay. So he's teaching. Uh. You know, we need to mature. You need to mature. The people he's talking to here that are, re- that are referenced here in verse 9 through 12, but you as well, me, I guess, is how I'll take this. I'll throw myself in the loop here, right? Um, you need milk, not solid food. If you need milk, you're an infant in the faith. If you're mature in the faith, you get the meat, right? Not solid. You get solid food. But they can't get solid food because they're still infants. Because this is holding them back, that they have this thought process, that they have this idea in the back of their mind, something that's holding them from pushing forward into maturity. It's the thought process that I, I can do something? Do I have the possibility to denounce Christ myself? We already went over that, no. Could I produce a sin? No. So what is there? He's saying why. This is illogical. What verses 4 through 6? Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. This is the key. What this is called, okay? I, I, I have thrown this. When I first read this, I thought, this is a hypothetical statement. It's similar to a hypothetical statement. It pretty much is, but but it, it never. I could never comprehend it. And when I tried to put the piece together, I still couldn't make it work without contradicting. And I finally got this, okay? Verses 4 through 6 is what is called... Oh, I. I, I don't want to say this out loud. This is going to suck. Verses 4 through 6. The best way to explain what this is is this is a this is what is called a reductio ad absurdum. I don't know what language that's from. I don't. I just know it. Okay? Fight me. What does this mean? The definition for what a reductio ad absurdum is is a method of proving the falsity of premise by showing that its logical consequence is absurd or contradictory. So what did the person who wrote this, this author, this writer, write? Why did he write verses 4 through 6? What he just did, whoever this is, what they just did was they said, okay, verses 4, you can, you can imply, you can put this in in verses 4 through 6. You go through, read it again, I don't care. We've already gone through it. Okay, he says, okay. In verses 4 and 5, we see, fine, we have someone who is is a believer. This is a hypothetical statement. This is a He's just working out the equation for you, okay? This is a believer. Verses 4 and 5 confirm this. He is a believer. He has the Holy Spirit. Absolutely, 100%. If he died right now, he would go to heaven. He is a child of Christ. That's what it's saying. But then what happens? He fell away? What is it saying? He then lost his salvation. This is talking about losing salvation. He didn't didn't fell away. Well, what does this mean for him? This means... That 
and and who have fallen away, who lost their salvation, in order for them to what to be brought back to repentance, to their loss. Oh wait, wait. Uh, to be brought back to repentance, who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. Sorry, I read that wrong. Anyways, I wasn't wrong on that. But I just read it wrong. Um, to their loss, they are crucified in the Son of God all over again. Let's take that one first. Well, actually, never mind. I, I need to I need to build upon this one in order to build on the second heresy. Um, uh, you know, at the end it says, "To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace." What does this mean? What is what is the author saying right here? Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, "Fine, we have this genuine, absolute, hundred percent believer who is confirmed, who is faithful, who is a child of Christ." has now lost his salvation. How does he get the salvation back? Right? How does he get it? To their loss. In order for them to come back to the faith, in order for them to get resaved, do you know what has to happen for them? For this hypothetical person? Jesus Christ has to come back down, go through the same subjecting to public disgrace and through the crucifixion a second time. Do you know why this might be considered illogical or why this doesn't work? Well, we, we clearly see in, we we could jump to, I have two different ones I'll jump to, but let's, let's go to Romans 6 first. Let's do that one, okay? Romans 6 verses 9 and 10, what does it say? It says, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, right? After three days, he raised from the dead. He cannot die again. Well, that seems odd. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died for sins, to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. It just stated Jesus Christ cannot die again. Because death has no power over him, he will never die again. He is in the flesh, and he will never die again. This means what? This is contradictory to the word of God itself. Also, when you look at, uh, what is it? It's, uh, it's John 19.30. I think it's verse 1930. Uh, let me get it real quick. Uh, yeah, John chapter 19, verse 30. It says, When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit or his ghost. Both of these. Both of these. So you, so you want to say what Jesus Christ has in order. So what we're saying here is you're a true believer. You lose your salvation in order for you to re-get that salvation, Jesus Christ has to go through everything he already went through on earth. All the pain, all the suffering, and all the, the, the crucifixion and the death. And since it states that Jesus Christ is not going to die again, this does not make it sense. Also, for this to work, this would also make God a liar. Do you understand this? Because when Jesus Christ says in John 19.30, it says, it is done. So what is Jesus Christ going to come back down, die on the cross and say, Across again and say it is gone. It is done again. No, Wait, what kind of buffoon believes in that? This is illogical. This contradicts the word of God itself. Okay, this is why. This is the first reason why it does not teach the losing of salvation. The author is showing you that hypothetically you have this fear of losing salvation. Let's play it through. Let's let's go through the scenario and see what the end results are. Now you're probably questioning me. You're like. Okay, you're not answering the full question. It, it, yeah, Jesus Christ could not die, but it doesn't prove that you can't lose your salvation. It proves you can't get that salvation back. You're right. You're right. The author clearly did not state 
in this chapter what happens, right? Because that's not at all what a reductio ad absurdum is. Let's let's, and this is the first contradiction. These two contradictories. I'm going to bring up the second one. These two contradictories, I think, are, are really useful for you to understand this because I didn't understand these. And by the time I fully had figured out, I figured out these are great keys. Is understanding these two contradictories. Okay. Once you understand these contradictories, you'll do exactly what I did, and you'll be like, no matter how, no matter what I put into this verse, it still contradicts the word of God, and that cannot happen. Go back to the beginning of the episode where I said God cannot lie. He cannot sin. He cannot contradict himself. Fine. We'll take the statement and we'll say, okay, you can lose your salvation, but you just can't get it back because Jesus Christ has to come down and die for you a second time. Which doesn't make any sense because then he says it is done and also you're claiming that he didn't die for all your sins in the first place. All sorts of stuff. We're getting into, this is why I had to build upon certain topics. So, What's the other contradictory here? Um, you may have picked up on this. I think this is really easy to pick up on. Maybe not. Uh, I may have been too... I, I just want to make sure you understand this first part. Okay. Now we need to flesh out. We have this believer. He lost his salvation. He cannot get that salvation back because that, that would contradict God himself and make God a liar, which we can't do. So he lost his salvation. He just can't get it back. Right? What, I have this memorized. I'm about to slap you in the face with this one. What does it claim in First John one nine? Some of you may know this. What does it say? It says that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So then you're making a statement. Do you know what this statement is? Okay, this is talking about the confession of sins. I said I was going to mention it, and I brought it up way early on. Do you know what the other contradiction of this is? If you can lose your salvation, as a true believer, you lose salvation, you just can't get it back because Jesus Christ has to come back down and do it again, and that's not going to happen because we have Scripture to back that up. What does that mean if you can't be forgiven? What does that mean? That makes it what? Ah, you got it. It's an unforgivable sin. This is not blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which means there's more than one unforgivable sin, which then contradicts God when he says the only unforgivable sin, the only sin that cannot be forgiven is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. This isn't blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So then, the, But this is still an unforgivable sin, which then also contradicts God and makes him a liar in that one. He has made, the author, what he does in verses 4 through 6 is he makes a hypothetical statement. He's saying, fine, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take your argument and I'm going to take it to the very end. And because I take it to the end, we're going to realize that you are lying and that you have to contradict the word of God himself to prove your statement. And if you want to stand on that, if you want to say I'm right and God's wrong, there is no salvation to begin with in you. There's none. I don't see anything in you. There's nothing. At all. Later on in uh, chapter 7 of Matthew, it even talks about, it talks about false teachers in Matthew 7, which is where the, the whole, it's, 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 I think it's a few verses beforehand. It's probably like verse uh, 13 or 12 or 13 of chapter 7, where it talks about, actually, no, it's, it's the latter half, so it's like 20 or 24 or something like that. It talks about, we will know them by their fruits, right? Your fruits show, okay? Now, when you read the gospel, the People like Judas are not believers, but they're incredibly deceiving, right? 
up until the moment it happened, none of the disciples knew this, right? But what do we know? We got to see a little in-depth of what Judas was doing leading up to that point. We got to see some of his greed. But people didn't notice this. But where, on the outside looking in, they were living it. They didn't notice it. He was really good at deceiving them. That can happen. But ultimately, his fruits shined, and they saw exactly. They understood that guy is not one of us. They left us because they were never of us. I didn't think I was going to use that at all, that reference. I tried not to, but I, it worked perfectly right there. So, uh, I don't know if I explained that well. But that's exactly what that means, by the way. That's what Hebrews 6, 4 through 6, and the entire context is. Because even after afterwards, when we talk about verse 7 through 8, it talks about the fruits. If you're producing fruits, you're saved. If you're not producing fruits, you're not saved. It brings up the argument. I told you. it. You thought I was going to contradict myself or something. That's the only way you can do it. You can't. I, I don't care who you are. A lot of you, you may not be able to do this. I will. You bring up Hebrews 6, 4 through 6 and say, that teaches uh, you can lose salvation. I say, okay. In order to get that salvation back, Jesus Christ has to die again. For, so for you to say you're resaved, you're lying, you're making God a liar. Okay, if you want to continue on that road and say, okay, I didn't get my salvation back. You then make it an unforgivable sin because you can't get the salvation back. That is what the reductio ad absurdum is and means. A method of proving the falsity of a premise by showing that its logical outcome or consequence is absurd or contradictory. Wow, I did awesome on that. Oh, what is that, like two hours? <sighs> Holy crap. It, wow, the sun's going to be up soon. This is not good. Ah, So, I don't know. I hope that was useful. Uh, I took about an hour to explain just Hebrews. So I clearly could have done just an episode on that passage. This took me over close to a year, close to a year to understand this. And I just gave you it in a nutshell and gave you every piece of information. If you fully understand what I just told you, you understand why this single-handedly will disprove anyone on the losing salvation topic because it contradicts itself in any possible outcome you can possibly think of. I went through the works, or not the works, the the sins you could do. Not possible because then you don't have salvation in the first place. I went through the denial of Christ, which also breaks the kingdom itself, which hasn't happened, which can't happen. Even Satan doesn't go against himself. Do you know that? That's why his kingdom still stands. That's awesome. That's probably not awesome, but that's why it's always God versus Satan. That's why it's always good versus evil. You can watch whatever movies, but that's ultimately... The way it comes down is always good versus evil. It's never evil versus evil or good versus good. The same works for God and Satan. They'll never fight their own. They'll always fight the opposite. Because the kingdom has to stand. This has been a great topic. I have absolutely... I'm not going to lie. Everything I've told you other than the Hebrew stuff, I absolutely find boring. But I enjoyed very much this Hebrew conversation with you. I think it was fascinating. Um, I have not been able to talk to a single soul about this topic, about the Hebrew stuff specifically. I have not been able to talk to anybody about it. Okay? So the reason I probably sound excited is because this, or why I even get serious, because this is the first time I can get it out. 
I'm not kidding. This is the first time I've been able to get it out. This stuff has been twirling in my head for so long. And I, I, I tell you, at the moment I found out what this meant, right? I actually found this out by uh, the Reductio ad Absurdum. I actually saw it on a YouTube video just not too long ago. That's what finally, that, that clicked the final piece I needed. It clicked. Everything fell perfectly into place. I was like, nothing contradicts. This is the only one that works. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love it. Um, it really shows what, uh, like, you know, other people just making, like, videos or... Uh, it's iron sharpening iron. And I, I hope that's what this has done for you. Um, other than that one YouTube video, I have never found and never been able to talk to anybody that I know of, that I have talked to. I'm sure there are people around me who know the answer, who understand the Hebrew stuff. But the ones I've talked to and the, the videos I watch and debates, nobody knows what it means. They always give the wrong definition. Every time they give a definition or an explanation or interpretation of it, it contradicts. And I can't avoid it. I'm like, that doesn't work. That just does it doesn't work. It can't be true. Because then you're making God a liar. I can't do that. This one works. This is the only one. And I love it. Oh, I, I want to say this right now. I will never do this topic again. <laughs> on the podcast off the podcast actually off the podcast i can't guarantee because i'm sure people are going to run their mouth but yeah i am so happy i'm done with this um clearly there was more for everybody else than it was for me but i got to understand hebrew 6 pretty well so i'm happy with that i hope this was useful um yeah um oh i might as well ah, shoot you know what you know what actually um I meant to mention this off the bat. I didn't even bring up Jude. I was going to get into some deep dive on why I was a false teacher. Oh, shoot. Ah, that that just clicked. Uh, Also, don't take my word for it. This just clicked in my head. Don't take my word for it. Every single thing I've mentioned, everything, whether it's for it or against it, go in there, challenge it, see if I'm lying, see if I'm telling the truth, interpret it, look at it in context. If you think I'm wrong on anything or everything, email will be in the description you are more than tell me whatever else i understand there are probably a buttloads of of topics and verses you guys were like oh he didn't mention this or that that's because a hebrew 6 absolutely destroys any possible topic hebrew 6 uh, 4 through 6 destroys every other verse i brought up that people think can immediately destroys it you cannot get around that bus (laughs) i don't know why i said bus but yeah um, so yeah, but you're welcome. Uh, I, I would very much encourage you to test the spirits. You shouldn't just take my word for it. I could be lying. Uh, I could be a wolf in sheep's clothing. Uh, Jude chapter four, or not Jude chapter four, but Jude four, verse four, because it's only one chapter, uh, talks about how people have slipped into the church, how these deceivers, basically Judases, liars, non-believers have slipped in and are whispering in the ears of people. Jude, Jude four, verse four. Specifically references wolves slipping in. Maybe I'm a wolf who just slipped in. Challenge it. I want to see it. I love it. Um, and I, I'm very much encouraged that if you can find any other type of way around this, especially Hebrews 6, if you can find any other type of way to interpret it other than the one I did, that works. I would love to see it. But if you don't, I'm going to use the contradictories in that verse and in that chapter or in that, that passage against you. And ultimately, I'm going to prove that you're making God a liar. 
So you got to play that very smart if you want to try and play that game. But I am very much would love to see it. I, I'm sure there, there are a lot of things I mix, missed. Um, there's a lot of verses I ignored. A lot of them I don't know are even being used. Obviously, Revelation 2.5 seems to be incredibly new. That is starting to slip in, into people's minds. And I immediately... It, first off, it was a joke, but I wanted to immediately make sure I deconstructed that topic alone. Immediately. You have no clue what context is. If you think that chapter 2, verse 5 of Revelation talks about losing salvation, you have no clue what context is at all. So we have to make sure we go over that. Context is key. If you don't use context, you will most likely absolutely make God a liar. We're not playing that game. We don't do that here. Okay? Um, let me mention this. I meant to mention this at the beginning. I'll mention it now since I forgot. Uh, my brother has a podcast called The Fruits Podcast. His name is Tyler Burnett. I'm assuming it's on all platforms. I don't know. I didn't get you know, I didn't get the okay to say this. I'm just saying this. Uh, this podcast, clearly, uh, we don't always talk about scripture-based topic. We talk about all sorts of things. I understand that currently because I'm writing solo, I have been talking about scripture. That's because the only topic I want to talk about. Um, but this is not a guaranteed, always going to be Bible, Christian, godly-related topics. Hopefully, hopefully, it's godly-related. Hopefully, I can make it godly and whatever we talk about, even if it's not scripture directly, but ultimately, uh, the Fruits Podcast, my brother's podcast, is all about scripture. Uh, he's, uh, I know he's brought up a few different topics, like I brought this one up, he didn't bring this one up, he talked about other things. Uh, last I checked, he's doing like a, a breakdown of like verse by verse, starting in Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1, verse by verse, explaining it, breaking it down, all that jazz. So if you want to get more in-depth on that, then you're just curious and maybe you don't even know Gen- uh, Genesis yet, go do that. Um, I think that's all here. Um, it is... Yeah, the sun's about to rise. This is really bad. I haven't gotten the bed. Ugh. Um, I didn't even get to mention that Greek word, but I didn't get into it. The whole ladder... Not the ladder, the whole uh, staircase conversation I had. Like, guys... I have spent, since the last time I recorded this, this topic has been on me, I have gone through this, I've done this podcast hundreds of times now, okay? It has been, what, what two months since I last put an episode up? It has been that long I have been consistently adding, trying to figure out what I want to talk about and what what has no value being here. And that's ultimately why I made the decision to not bring up um, the, the parable of the two virgins. I didn't bring it up because it just, it doesn't, we're going down a deep dive. Um, also, it was, uh, what was it? it I can't remember. It flipped, was it Philippians 12? Talks about the, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It doesn't mean work for your salvation. It means you're going to live in awe because of that salvation. Uh, it also means the growth, uh, you know. Fear and trembling, fear of the Lord. Uh, this can be referenced in I think I think I went to Psalms two eleven is where I originally was going to take it, but I ended up completely dropping this topic because I I thought it was not successful or worth it in my time. And ultimately, I proved that it is because Hebrews six again, the end all be all. There's not a single thing you can bring against it. So hopefully that was informative. Um, go study this yourself. 
Um, but yeah, cool. Um, I'm gonna go to the bed. So, uh, peace.